Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. But we begin with Ja Morant. Now, Ja is imminently likable. Ja Morant has flair, he's got charisma, and he's got a game to go along with it. Ja Morant doesn't look like anybody in the NBA. His hair is interesting. His look is interesting. He fights at like a flyweight level and yet flies through the air with such acrobatic nature. It's hard to keep your eye off of him. Can he keep doing this for his entire career, thrusting himself to the basket, banging into bigger, stronger guys, hitting the ground as much? Maybe not. But at this point in time, John Morant is easily one of the most marketable and interesting stars in the NBA. There's a long career to come, hopefully. And one of the great things about the NBA is they have figured out, unlocked a way to market guys that don't play in huge markets. They can promote and market a star in Memphis. And that's a beautiful part about what the NBA has unlocked in terms of this interest, the marketability, the Q rating, the popularity for all teams in all cities nationwide, not just New York, not just L.A., not just the big brands. Now, John needs to win something before he can really be put in the pantheon. But in terms of young stars, he's as interesting and as cool to watch as it gets. And he's not afraid to throw punches in terms of verbal sparring, to talk about how good he thinks his own team is, that they have arrived, and the Grizzlies nearly did knock off the would-be champions, the Golden State Warriors, in that great playoff series, ultimately where they left, where they lost John Moran. Ja was speaking to Bleach Report's Taylor Rooks, and the conversation about playing in a different era came up. Now, Ja's kind of perfectly suited for this era where it's not too physical. He's small. He's small, which is why he ends up at a Murray State and not at a powerhouse blue blood program. But Ja fears nobody, and Ja said he would want to play in a different era. And he was talking about Michael Jordan and how Michael set the table for so many young players that saw him fly through the air and said, I want to do that. I want to play basketball. I want to be an NBA star. And even though Michael's greatest moments are now 25 years in the rear view, there's still obviously a series of young players of the NBA and kids growing up that idolize Michael Jordan. Now, more so, it becomes LeBron, LeBron, LeBron every day for young children, for young kids, and Stefan LeBron, and Giannis Stefan LeBron, obviously, but there's still the iconography of Michael Jordan. And so, Ja talked about how he would have loved to play in Michael's day and did say... I think I could have had success against Michael. Now, he says it in his own John Morant way. Let's play that clip for Ja talking about playing back in Michael's era and, quote-unquote, cooking Michael on the floor. I wish I played in his generation, though. Like, just how he, you know, go about the game, you know, just that mindset he had. I would like to, you know, play against him. I would have cooked him, too. (laughs) You would have cooked Michael Jordan? Man, I... Nobody got more confidence than 12. I'm I'm never going to go and say nobody going to beat me in one-on-one or anything. 
So there's a lot of ways this is taken, of course, and, and some of it is Michael still resides in this really unique spot in culture, in sports culture and pop culture. For a group of human beings that were born between like 1960 and 1990, you can't say that. (laughs) And the last dance only cemented it. The greatest, the greatest ever, nobody will ever be Michael, and everybody taking runs at Michael doesn't realize how great Michael is, and you shall never speak ill of Michael. And this is just the way it is going to be for that generation of fans forever. And that generation happens to have microphones and keyboards and a very comfortable place at the sports lexicon table. And guess what's going to happen? I'm of that generation. I'm 43 years old, and so this is certainly the era 10 years older than me, 10 years younger than me, that 30-year window of the sports media is always going to hang on to Michael until their last dying breath. And then what's going to happen is that next generation is going to take over the keyboards and the smartphones and the microphones and the podcasts, and it's going to be LeBron. And at some point in time, that creaky old group of sports writers and sports talkers that keep talking about Michael Jordan will sound stupid and sound outdated. And that is going to happen. That is what happens. And before it was Michael, it might have been Bill Russell. It might have been Magic. You know, choose your guy. It happened with Johnny Unitas, which turned into Joe Montana, which turned into Tom Brady. But Michael is different because there is an innumerable, unquantifiable quality that you can place on Michael Jordan where it really doesn't come down to numbers. It really comes down to an it. And the people that saw the it, identify the it, and honor the it, and the people that don't will just look at the film and look at the numbers and go, You guys, you old guys are crazy. That's bullshit. You know, LeBron is a more dominant physical force. LeBron went to eight consecutive NBA finals. LeBron rebounds way better than Michael ever did. LeBron distributes across a floor way better than Michael ever did. LeBron is a passer better than Michael ever was. And LeBron is playing uninterrupted. Elite basketball from 2003 until today. Stop greatness out here, cuz. There is absolutely a case to be made for LeBron as the greatest of all time. He will finish with better stats than Michael in almost every category. Points scored, rebounds, assists, X number of triple doubles, years played at a high level, NBA Finals appearances, He will have collected all of those numerical values over Michael and has collected many of them already. And yet, for the generation of people that saw Mike, it's going to be, yeah, but you don't get it. Yeah, but you don't get it. And that's why that generation hangs on the six titles in six finals, never went to a game seven, because that's the number that they can use to hang against all of LeBron's numbers But that really, what that generation is arguing is, yeah, but you don't know. 
but you don't know. And The Last Dance captured it pretty well. It was really slanted in Michael's direction. I thought it needed to be far more even-handed. That was my biggest qualm with the whole thing was that this was just through the eyes of Michael. But it did capture a certain it that, you know, is really hard to quantify. Which is why the 6-0, 6-0, 6-0 is always hung at the door of LeBron arguers. is because he can't say 6-0, but he has every other number. Like, I'm born in the Michael era, and so I still believe Michael was greater than LeBron, but I'm open-minded enough to realize this is part and parcel because of when I was born and what I grew up watching. But when Jaws says, I could cook Michael, it creates this really interesting dividing line. For anybody that watched Michael, you're like, Jaws, just shut up. That's the dumbest thing you could ever pop. What have you possibly accomplished to suggest that you could quote cook the greatest of all time? Don't you I would have cooked them too. Don't you realize that Michael was an elite defender, an elite perimeter defender, took everything personally, not some things, not most things, everything personally. And don't you realize I mean, you've been in this league for about 15 minutes or so. He would eat your lunch if it mattered at all. If this was a playoff series, if this was a game on national television, if this was a moment where you had said something before the game and he wanted to prove that he was greatest, don't you realize that he would eat you alive? Don't you realize that? And that's hard to quantify. Because, I mean, guys now are just so much more athletic. Ja could play in any era. He's light. He's small, but that athleticism is stupid. He's like Spud Webb on steroids. He's like Spud Webb from a from a video game at 100. I mean, there's there's no way to think that Ja couldn't get buckets at any point in time in his career. And look, Michael Jordan cooked Craig Elo. Craig Elo, no offense, doesn't have a job in today's NBA. There's not a job out there for Craig Elo, especially in a playoff game, okay? But... Ja is going to say these things because that's who he is. And if you saw Michael, you'd go like, that just wouldn't happen. Now, you can parse this a million ways. The people that are arguing that Ja Morant could never beat Michael. Well, look, a regular season game, if the 96 Bulls played what would then have been the Memphis Grizzlies and the Grizzlies were a middle of the over the road team out west, and it was the second night of a back to back, and and Michael didn't quite care. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that Ja could have scored 38 points on on whatever number of shooting if he's the best guy on the floor that night because the Bulls are out of it. Now that the 96 Bulls are a bad example because they were the greatest regular season team of all time before the the Warriors. But you get my point. On any given night, yeah, of course a guy could have a great a great night against Michael. It wasn't like he dominated everybody every night, but the point would be that if if the matchup mattered, if it was again, a nationally televised game, if Ja had predicted I'm going to get 30 down, I'm going to cook Michael tonight. I would have cooked him too. You wait. If this was an NBA playoff series, NBA finals, I mean forget it. It just if you know, you know that could never happen. So it's nice to say, it's nice when these young guys like to say, beat their chest, you know, what am I supposed to say? That I, I wouldn't beat Michael, and that's fine. But if we're talking in reality, 
if it mattered, it wouldn't happen. The more interesting thing, though, about this whole thing is that a parody Twitter handle took this, Joss, and he would cook Michael, and made it just ridiculous enough to where people believed it was a real quote. The handle at Ballsack Sports, uh huh, spun this and spun it into a graphic that basically said John Morant thinks that Michael would just be an everyday star in today's NBA. He didn't say that, didn't come close to saying that, but used this to spin it out of proportion, knowing that it would get retweeted. It's like the at Adam Schefter Twitter Twitter handle that has like five S's in it or four F's. And they're just, they're looking for the retweets of something silly. This went a little too far because ESPN actually used this tweet to do a segment on can you believe John Morant would disrespect Michael this way? Uh-oh. And this folds into two very important lessons as sports media and as sports media consumers. Number one, because saying anything anti-Michael to a certain group of the sports media immediately garners hate and pitchforks. I knew John didn't respect Michael. I knew these young guys, they don't know. They have no idea, these young guys. They cook Michael. He thinks Michael will be just at every... We're just waiting, this generation of guys like between 50 and 30 or like 60 and 40. There's men and women in sports media just waiting to fight for Michael's cause. That they saw this, they didn't check where it came from and said, oh, hell no. Can you believe this, everybody? That's the first lesson, that we are just so overreactionary to the Michael LeBron or Michael versus anything talk. The second thing is, if you work in sports media or you're a sports media consumer, just check the Twitter handle quickly. And if you see the report or the tweet, if you see the block quote, and you don't see somebody actually saying it, and it comes from a handle such as at Ball Sack Sports, then you know more than likely didn't happen. What's amazing is that the guys behind this handle know how ridiculous this is. They pull the pin on a grenade and stand back and watch the explosion, then laugh. Can you believe how stupid everybody is? In fact, their Twitter feed actually has posts about media literacy. Here's how to spot a fake. And everybody, we're a fake. It's like The Onion. Could you imagine doing a news segment and using an Onion article being like, can you believe they said this? Again. The handle isn't, oh, I missed the third F in Schefter. It's at Ballsack Sports. Not an entity. (laughs) Excuse me, my bad. Not a media entity. Everybody's tweeting yesterday, oh my God, dude, they used your quote on ESPN. And the guys behind the handle are like, oh my God, I can't believe how stupid they are. (laughs) 
doesn't take much. All you have to do if you see a block quote is let me just check the Twitter handle to see, first of all, where this came from. Because here's the thing. Everybody has Photoshop or a quote maker app on their phone. Everybody. It ain't hard to whip up a quick quote graphic on Photoshop or the Font Tabler app. I mean, so just check the handle to see where the source is before we start yelling and ranting and raving. I can't believe how disrespectful Ja is. He said, oh, that, that was from Ballsack Sports. Oh. Unbelievable. My bad. My bad. Hey, DA, Vegas is fat. Have you, have you seen some of the folks who are on vacationing right now? Signed, Jim. That's from Mr. Joshua in the OC. Well, look, Wisconsin knows a thing or two about. Cheese, beer, meat. That's the Decamo. And if I get to Lambeau this fall, I expect to hear lots of it. Stephen Palm Springs asks, DA, why do you want to ruin a great week in SoCal by ending it with an Angels game? That's a fair question. I tried to be equal-handed, fair-minded, and I've never been to an Angels game. But considering I had the best time ever at the Dodgers game on Saturday and then got to see an incredible run of stand-ups on Sunday and have had really great dinners and heading to the beach to see the Pacific, it does beg the question, which, by the way, this whole trip will end with a number of taco trucks that I will be hitting coming up here on Wednesday after the show before I head to hit my flight. I got one of my loyal D-Aliens, Lewis and Palmdale, who's going to take me from to his best taco trucks in L.A. So I'm very excited about ending off the week that way. It begs the question why I would put myself through the misery of an Angels game tonight. And the answer is to see Shohei in person and to see that big fake rock in left center. You think about the green monster, ivy-covered Wrigley Field walls, promenade of Yankee Stadium, and a giant plastic rock. Huge, monstrous, plastic rock build it they will come the huge plaster plastic rock and DA will definitely come Quite Californian tweets, DA, the new vendors who took over the contract at Dodger Stadium are such cheap asses. They quit using local producer Farmer John. They opted for a cheaper, lesser hot dog, cut out all the condiments, and raised the price. This is all on Dodger's ownership. Well, this dog war has led to a real mediocre product, let me tell you that. All I know is I've heard for 43 years of my life how great a Dodger dog is. I went and had one and said... Eh, this is eh. So Albert Pujols is going to be invited to the Home Run Derby coming up on Monday night at Dodger Stadium. And the Home Run Derby's this lineup is awesome. Pete Alonso, slugger for the Mets, who's won it the last two years. 
he's going to be in it. Juan Soto, one of the greatest young hitters in the game, is going to be in it. Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to be in it, maybe the best young player in the game. And Albert Pujols. Now, Pujols is old. Pujols doesn't hit a lot of home runs anymore. And many people would say, well, why are we doing this? That's a stupid question you ask, yo. And I would say, because baseball needs it. Baseball needs this. It's a bit akin to the NBA dunk contest inviting 40-year-old Vince Carter to it and everybody going, well, he's not going to win. He's 40. But then going, yeah, but that's kind of cool. Yeah, I remember his dunks in Oakland, 2000. Those were freaking off the windmill. That's kind of what this is. And while the NBA doesn't really need moments like that, Major League Baseball does. Baseball has fallen so far behind in the NFL and the NBA's race to daily relevance that one of their last cachets to utilize is nostalgia. And it's where the sport's always caught. It's always caught in this this horrible in-between of we can't change the game. People like the nostalgia. That's why they go to Fenway, they go to Wrigley, they go to Dodger Stadium. They, that's what they like. We don't go to old NFL stadiums besides Lambeau. We just go to watch a football game and party and be at a tailgate and watch football. But in baseball, I want to see the ballpark. What are they serving for food? I mean, I've done two segments on the food this week already at Dodger Stadium. That's what we want in baseball. We want the nostalgia, and that's what baseball is always trapped by. Do you change the rules of the game for a modern demographic or stick to the old stuff because that's what people like? And I think in this case, I know it's really hard to walk this line of what are we doing? We're just trotting out old guys that aren't very good anymore, but baseball needs that stuff. How many casual baseball fans will be like, oh, Pujols is in the home run derby. I'll watch that. A baseball fan knows Soto, knows Acuna, knows Alonzo, and goes, I want to see those guys. A casual fan that maybe just watches the World Series might not. But he or she hears Albert Pujols and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know Pujols. Which is why I think, even though it's taken some flack in some circles, giving Pujols and Miguel Cabrera the golden ticket into the All-Star game as a way to doff the cap, say hello, get the final farewell is kind of what baseball has to do. They have so few stars that have crossover appeal, so few names that everybody knows, that when you do have a couple, you got to kind of traffic in their celebrity. You kind of got to keep trotting them out. And it wouldn't be a bad thing every year to trot out the greatest living ball player, who now is Willie Mays, really has been Willie Mays probably for a long time. But just every year whoever's the greatest living ball player identify that and try them out and know that's who you're going to see at the all-star game remember tony Gwynn talking to ted williams in 99 at fenway and how iconic that moment is you kind of need to do that because baseball needs those sentimental moments and even though pujols robbed the angels blind for a decade and even though he ain't nearly what he once was in a cardinals uniform seeing pujols the St. Louis red hat 
at the All-Star Game taking some hacks. People want to see it. And baseball needs to do a better job of giving people what they want to see. And I think they've been trapped again in this no-man's land forever, but what fans want to see is familiarity and stuff sped up. You know, yeah, timeless baseball is timeless, but yeah, we got stuff to do here. And if you take forever on the mound and I get no hits, I get no home runs, I get no stolen bases, get no plays at the plate, you know, why am I even doing this? Just to eat a hot dog with grasshoppers on it? Is that why I'm at this ball game? Just to eat this monstrosity that has pulled pork on a rack of ribs, on a hot dog bun, on a Sunday in a helmet? Is this why I'm here? Just give me some some action on the field and something that I recognize. And so I think Pujols in the, hall, in the home run derby, before he gets to the Hall of Fame, is good for baseball ultimately. Coming up here on the show, Heinz Field is no more. And they've changed the name now, home of the Steelers. And I think in terms of familiarity, this should really roll off the tongue for generations. Acrisure? Acrisure? Are we sure? Ben in Pittsburgh. Roethlisberger tweets, I can't believe it. It doesn't seem right or real. Home will always be Heinz Field. I will never forget the last game and all the amazing fans at Forever Heinz. (laughs) Which is awesome. Why? Because the Steelers announced yesterday that they would be renaming Heinz Field Acrisure Stadium, which you couldn't even carry over the field part. Just keep the field at least. Acrisure Stadium. Oy. Talk about sucking all the life out of your naming rights deal. Acrisure. Thanks. But the Big Ben tweet had me laughing because it reminds me of that scene in Can't Hardly Wait where Jerry O'Connell plays Trip McNeely, a washed up high school icon. And he's at this party. Bunch of high school, high schoolers raging. And Mike Dexter is out in the back. He's like, wait, dude, you're Trip McNeely. And McNeely's just crushing a six-pack himself. Dude, you're you're Trip McNeely. You're in college. You're a sexual icon here at Huntington. And Trip McNeely's like, really? No way. Yeah, you must be racking up at college, bro. And Trip McNeely's like, I wish I can't even get digits as a freshman. Chicks, they're totally different in college. They're all serious. They want to talk about world issues and ecological crap. They want to date older guys. And then Trip McDaily pounds a beer, belches, and gets up and says, oh, and don't forget flip-flops in the shower. I've got warts all over my my feet. And this feels like Big Ben now that he no longer gets to play on Sundays. Bro, post-playing sucks. I mean, just everybody's all serious and stuff. You got to mow the lawn now. It's like on Sundays, like you go to church and stuff. It's just, it's not, it's not 
fun. It's not cool. Cherish where you're at, Kenny Pickett. Oh, and remember, flip-flops in the shower. I got warts all over my feet as he burps and walks away. Forever Hines, dude! Forever Hines! You could almost smell the desperation of Big Ben in that tweet wanting to say, and wasn't I awesome? (laughs) Isn't there a sense there's like just below the surface of that tweet? And that was awesome too, wasn't I? Wouldn't that throw to Santonio pretty badass too? I mean, remember, like, remember the Ravens games? Hinesfield rules forever, Hines. <laughs> Big Ben is definitely Trip McNeely. This is crazy. Now, I will say this about the Steelers. This is one of the iconic franchises in NFL history. They are born in the muck of nostalgia and history. They love trotting back out Franco and Ham and Lambert and Bradshaw and all of the 70s guys. Rocky Blyer is always around. And then they, they trot out the Bettises of the world. They'll trot out Big Ben for the next 30 years. All of the Super Bowl teams come back. They don't change their uniforms. They play on grass. You know, and you love that. They they live on that brand of the steel curtain of the terrible towel. They live on that. And, and I've got family from Western PA, from McKeesport, and I've been to Steelers games at both Three Rivers and Heinz Field. And I love it. I just love it. I just love that city. I love that fan base. I love what everything is about the Steelers because I love the history of the game. And I love those old steel curtain 70s teams. But they, they traffic in this. And so why... <laughs> Would they just take the top dollar for Acrisure Stadium? Isn't there anything else that's even a little bit more everyday Joe? You know, it's not like Heinz Field has to be Wrigley or Fenway. It's not named after, look, it's it's named after a family, but it's also named after a condiment that we all use on foods that we eat watching Steelers games. So that feels right. If it's not going to be Three Rivers, which is just a geographical location, at least give me something Western PA. If it's not Promanti Brothers Field, give me something. And you're giving me Acrisure? Come on. And this is, I just wish somebody, somebody in professional sports would listen to this edict. Guys, It's fine to squeeze extra dollars out of a lot of places. We get it. Salaries are up. Costs are up. You want to make more bucks. We get it. It's America. But just remember, the extra $2 million a year from Acrisure isn't worth it. You don't need to make the extra $2 million there. You know what? Cut a backup offensive lineman. Right? Just give us a name that we can feel somewhat okay about. There's some pathetic corporate naming rights out there where you just wonder, why would you make that decision? The Home Depot centers, we're fine. We can deal with those. The Invesco fields, all right, not great, but we can deal with it. Once we start getting to stuff we've never even heard of, what is Acrisure? What does it do? 
Why has it got naming rights on the stadium? If you can't even give us a company that we've got some familiarity with, just don't take the extra two million bucks a year. Just drop down. You know, if Heinz, if Heinz doesn't want the naming rights deal anymore, it doesn't make sense for them. You want to up the ante, you know you can get more. That's fine. That's fine. But shop it around until you can get something close to what you want from the highest bidder, but that we have some familiarity with. Staples Center, it's amazing. That's not some type of incredibly nostalgic name. That is a company that sells paper supplies. It might as well be Dunder Mifflin Arena. But it's better than Crypto.com. You know, it's like you're Los Angeles. I'm sure Crypto.com wanted to pay a pretty penny but you'd have other bidders. So just shop it around a little bit and then go, great, crypto.com, nice knowing you, but we need something that has a little bit more legitimacy, that doesn't feel so fly-by-night. And by the way, if crypto does fall apart, we don't want to be locked into this for a decade or two. I mean, it's like terrible towels, Sunday night football. It's the Steelers and the Ravens next from, what is this? Akrashore Stadium Field. Sure. I hate to hear that. What are we doing? Joe Robbie Stadium was named after a guy. A guy that owned the Dolphins. A guy that built the stadium or helped build the stadium. And then they sold the naming rights to Pro Player Apparel. Remember this? This is just a bunch of wind jackets. It's just a... It was just like knockoff starter jackets. You wanted the starter, you didn't really want the pro player. Like, oh, it's pro player. Um, um, can we get the starter? Oh, it's Apex? Ah, uh, yeah. If you're the Dolphins, if you're Hyzenga at the time, just sell it to the next one under pro player. <laughs> and then... They had the audacity to say, oh, we hear the outrage. We went from pro player park. We brought the stadium back. Joe Rock, now it's pro player stadium. I feel better? Oh, well, thank you. Now I feel so much better about going to this ballpark. <laughs> Acrisure? I mean, at least name it Steelers Field at Acrisure Park or Acrisure Tarmac or something. Akershore Stadium? What are we doing? Boy, nothing says Steeler fans and the history of the, the Steelers quite like a company I've never heard of. Some tech company, I get insurance company, who knows? Garbage. 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 Do we have this Baker Mayfield audio that we can play? Baker has spoken, has spoken for the first time as a member of the Carolina Panthers. And so now Baker enters a quarterback room with rookie Matt Corral and the incumbent Sam Darnold. Here is Baker. When you're at any level uh, as high as this in the NFL, nobody has the, uh, the mentality of being a backup. We're at this level because we compete to be the very best. And um, that's why Sam's here as well. And that's why Matt Corral just got drafted and PJ Walker's competed and fought through a lot of adversity as well. And so, you know, my intention is to become the best quarterback I can be, uh, help this team win. And that's why um, I'm happy to be in, in Carolina is this, 
you know, I feel like the team's very close to being really, really good. We just had to put the pieces together and come together as a team. And um, however that happens, you know, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to, you know, fill whatever role is to be expected of me and be a great leader and a great teammate. It's not quite as weird as Tony Dorsett on the Broncos or Emmett Smith on the Cardinals, but Baker in a Panthers hat did look pretty weird today. Look, maybe this is the healthy dose of humility that he needed. Certainly seemed like a lot of people had a lot of problems with him in Cleveland. But it should be noted that Matt Rule, for all of his perceived genius at the collegiate level, Temple, Baylor, all that, has been a complete nightmare in the NFL choosing a quarterback or figuring out a plan. Note that year one, you know what? No Cam Newton anymore. Let's do Teddy Bridgewater. Then it was, ah, Bridgewater kind of stinks. Let's go Sam Darnold. Then it was, Sam Darnold kind of stinks. Let's go P.J. Walker. Then it was, P.J. Walker kind of stinks. Let's bring back Cam Newton. Then it was, Cam Newton's really washed. Let's draft Matt Corral. And then it was, we have Matt Corral and we have Sam Darnold. Why don't we bring in Baker Mayfield as well? Essentially, Matt Rule is walking into 7-Eleven, buying lottery tickets, and just hoping I'm a rich guy by the end of this trip. Feverishly scratching pennies against your mega millions, hoping that maybe I'll keep my job. This is the brilliant football mind that David Tepper and the Panthers knew was going to build a program in Carolina. Oh, boy. Uh, Cam, want to come back? I mean, who thought Cam was a good solution last year? Baker, want to? What do we think about Baker? <sighs> Matt Corral, me, maybe Matt Corral, me. Ah, who knows? Rhino and Sacktown tweets. Da, are we going to get an Angels dog reset tomorrow? I don't know if I'm up to it, guys. I'm not sure. I need another mediocre hot dog for dinner this week. Mm. <laughs> maybe I'll do something more, but I'll let you know tomorrow. Good night, now.